Here we go. Final seconds. Luck steps. Luck, a little flip. Donnie Avery, he's in. Touchdown. Indianapolis has... Going to try to work the ball on the boundary. And steps into it. Passes. Caught. Diggs. Sideline. Touchdown. Unbelievable. Play clock at five. Pass is intercepted at the goal line by Malcolm Butler. Unreal. All right. Uh, welcome back to Gridiron Chaos. Um, so this is the final episode of the season. Then we'll be moving all the episodes over to Chaotically Intolerant next year. But um, hopefully we'll be doing some uh, interviews in the offseason, getting some players on um, at some point. But I wanted to do this to kind of preview the offseason more for our teams more than anything. I think the Colts and the Ravens have some of the more interesting offseasons um, in the league. So that's important. Maybe preview like the Bears, a little bit of the Bears, some of those teams. Um, but uh, let's talk Sodgate first. Yeah. All right. um, the, I don't believe in it. Andy Reid is apparently like – methodical about knowing the field about checking the field before every game knowing what it's like out there so he can tell his players i think andy Reid was just more prepared i think that's stuff you pick up after being in the league for as long as he's been in the league for uh yeah i mean theory like in theory the field conditions affect both teams um you know, the, the only conspiracy theory that people are trying to throw out there is that somehow the Chiefs knew about this. Like they, they knew and were, you know, told what cleats to wear. You know, I had an Eagles fan friend uh, tell me that, uh, <laughs> that uh, the Eagles didn't no not one Eagle changed their cleats. And most of the Chiefs had to change. I'm sorry, not one Chief changed their cleats. And most of the Eagles had to change theirs. And Chiefs uh, uh, guy was called the Sod Father, and he's a, a lifelong Chiefs fan. I don't know if any of this stuff's true. I haven't had a chance to really research it. Um, I know the field conditions were bad. I know that people were surprised that the Eagles did not record a single sack in the game uh, after picking up 70 in the regular season. Chiefs offensive line was obviously really good. Was it footing? Um, so, you know, I don't know. It, it seemed like there were more plays where the Eagles were probably affected. Um, yeah. There was like a key third down where A.J. Brown slipped, but I, I don't I don't think there's a conspiracy here. I think you're right. It's probably better preparation by a better coaching staff. And uh, that played out, you know, with X's and O's too. It's not, you know, you had the two touchdowns where Sky Moore on the left and uh, Kadarius Tony on the right were wide open. I mean, that, I, I think it was just really a coaching clinic by Andy Reid and a uh, veteran assistance. And now the Eagles, we'll get into it a little bit. Um, you know, they've lost both of their coordinators. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, always a war of attrition. Seems like more so in the NFC. I mean, we I threw this stat out. And if I didn't, I, we'll throw it out now that you've had, what, seven quarterbacks start in the last 22 AF, uh, Super Bowls for the AFC and in that same span, 19 have started in the NFC. It's like, you know, the NFC, it's, there's a lot of parity and competitive balance. The AFC, there's there's none. So, um, yeah, I don't, I, 
unless they come up with something really conclusive, I'm not going to buy into Sod Gate. Is that what it's called? Sod Gate? Is that what they're calling yeah. it? Yeah. Sod Gate. Sod Gate. Oh, man. Deflate Gate. Of course, you know, Deflate Gate, ironically, started in the, the after, I think, right? It was after the last Super Bowl in Arizona. It was the Colts Patriots uh, AFC Championship game in the. I 20- remember that vividly. I, re- I remember the shot, you know, when they looking at the ball. Some, it was it Dequell Jackson or something picked off a pass. Dwayne, oh, Dwayne Allen was a tight end, actually. I think Dwayne I remember there was a one interception. Like they had one defensive play the entire day against Brady. You know, it was a forty-five to seven route, and uh, but then he handed it to the official, and you just see him like squeezing the football. I, I, I don't know, but I will say that this Super Bowl. Did remind me a lot of that New England Seattle Super Bowl. Yeah, kind of played out, and it you know this impenetrable defense that you know it looked like they were dominating the game, and then all of a sudden, miraculously, third and fourth quarter, especially fourth quarter, roll around and can't stop anybody. Look like yeah, you know, like a worst defense in the league. So I don't I don't know if that's suspicious or it's just great coaching or just. They just wore down emotionally, whatever, but it did not have anything to do or it had very little to do with the field conditions. Mm-hmm. So, um, Apparently in 2006, Tom Brady and Peyton Manning argued for a rule change um, to allow road teams to bring their own footballs to the games. Mm. So, Because before that, only home teams were supplying them. So maybe Tom Brady was planning his cheating long before i know that game was played in new england but still maybe it's just tom brady being a cheater well 2006 patriots played the colts in indy in what they i lost still to this day is the best game i've ever watched the 2006 afc championship game i know I, I doubt you remember i don't i don't remember it but i know every single play i've watched it before i i i've watched it many times since watching it live and um Perhaps, I mean, there was there were a lot of uh, conspiracies I remember that came out of some of those Patriots Colts games. First, it was I think it was like 2004. That, that speaking of Sodgate, the Colts were accusing the Patriots of keeping the field frozen and doing anything they could. It was because it was a, obviously a playoff game, and yeah. Colts offense, which racked up over 500 points, was held to three. And then in the 2006 championship game, I think a lot of New England players had dealt with like a flu bug or something during the week. And, uh, and so they accused the Colts of turning the heat up in the building about as high as they could to make the Patriots players wear down. And of course the Colts got 32 points in the second half of that game. And I remember, and this is my uh, only connection to this story is when I was doing like a little guest radio spot a few years back and Philip Wilson of the Indianapolis star was on and I, I asked him about it and, and this is what he claimed. He claimed that he sort of started that story or rumor about uh, about those the you know the teams. I don't, I don't remember which one or if it was both of those that I just mentioned, but kind of like pumping up that angle a little bit to get people to sort of choose sides or something. But um, uh, it, it's funny how these things always come to light after the fact. Right. It's always easy. Yeah. Say it's 2020. I remember. So, yeah, you were right about Dequell Jackson, but I could have sworn that Dwayne Allen had a hand in it. I, I think he may have handed a ball to an official, too, and was like, hey, 
this feels weird, but maybe that was Dequell Jackson. Maybe I'm mixing stuff up. Well, I think Dwayne Allen, I'm not sure, but I I thought Dwayne Allen also played for the Patriots. He played for the Patriots after the Colts. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I see that. He played 17 and 18, so he actually did win uh, a ring with the Patriots. uh, I just – I remember this game so well, and – the 45-7 game, the one – Yeah, that... well, it was 17-7 in the first half with the terrible balls or with the deflated footballs, and then they got their asses kicked, which I say the same – which I say to all the Eagles fans complaining about the sod, you guys were up by 10 points in the first half when you guys had the wrong cleats on, and then and, suddenly and... you blow a 10-point lead. I mean, come on. And you held the Chiefs to just one offensive touchdown in the first half. Mm-hmm. I mean, if Hurts, you know, it, the, there's no ball gate in this. The the football was not too slick, right? When it fumbled <laughs> it, you know, nobody put baby oil on it. I mean, as far as I know, I mean, I think it was just look. It was the Chiefs' year. It was the Chiefs' game. It, you know, they they played better that day, but also just you know, there were things throughout the course of the season where you felt like there were a lot of breaks that just went Kansas City's way. And here's another thing to think about: if Patrick Mahomes has that exact same injury in week five or week nine instead of against Jacksonville, the divisional round, he sits out probably three or four games. And even though the chiefs have a great team around him, I guarantee you they lose at least one game with Chad Henney uh, playing as, you know, starting. Um, And that maybe changes the entire complexion of the playoffs. Maybe the chiefs don't have a buy. Maybe they have to go on the road for a change. So in a weird way, not that you ever, if you're a chiefs fan, want Mahomes or, you know, nobody wants him to get hurt. But if he, if there ever is a time for him to get hurt, but still be able to just play through it, it's the postseason because he he was going to play. He was going to say, "You have to take me out." But in the regular season, when they've got a whole big picture to worry about, if this yeah. happens, the chief season's in in a different place, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And when he was injured in 2019, the only games he's missed, he missed two games. They went one and one. They still ended up getting a bye because that was the last year I think that the number two seed could get a buy. So always things yeah. always seem to break Kansas city's way. when you're going really good. I think, yeah, I think that was the year. Cause I, I remember he hurt his ankle against the Colts that year. Um, it was a Sunday night game, Jacoby Brissett and our offensive line or our defensive line was feasting on him. I mean, it was, that was clearly their issue and they, you know, they ended up winning the Super Bowl, but it was still like, well, your defense or your offensive line isn't very good. Um, so that was kind of when they revamped the offensive line the first time and then things fell apart again and then, you know, they came back and played a lot better. So, um, let's, uh, I don't think anybody needs to talk Super Bowl anymore. I think we're, I think everybody's all super, actually, we'll talk a little more. The NFL might lose the, uh, IP for the Super Bowl. Lose the what? The, um, the IP, the naming rights for it. The NFL could lose the naming rights. Yeah, there's a brand new story that just came out that somebody else owns it, basically. Really? Yeah. Wow. Um, I'm pretty sure I'm not seeing anything on here. I just saw a story about it. NFL. My Super Bowl. Gripe with the Super Bowl and has been since the Colts were last in the Super Bowl. Funny enough, for you appreciate yeah. 
is the NFL standardized the Super Bowl logo and it lacks any character or flavor. And it used to be this great fun reveal every year. And the logos always, almost always uh, played up the theme, you know, like the city of the Super Bowl usually. Um, they, I think they changed the one in 2001, obviously after 9-11, it had like a New Orleans theme originally. Um, and that was honestly one of my favorite things uh, yeah. every year. And the last unique logo they had was Super Bowl 44. And it wasn't a great logo. It was like, I think it was like, because it was, let me see, uh, it was 44. So what is that? Uh, XLIV, right? I uh, know. Yeah. Yeah. X. Yeah. It's something like that. And it was like, you know, with orange and they had the uprights in the middle or something. But, you know, when the Colts won, of course, they had a logo, unique logo. But now it's this same phallic looking symbol every year. And I wish I wish someone would sue the NFL over that. But I don't think that's going to happen. And we've now had 13 years of of these just generic Super Bowl logos. I must be wrong about this. I'm kind of disappointed. I would like to hear what they come up with. Um, I guess the NFL does own the naming rights. They did just sign Pepsi to naming rights or to rights, but they didn't to like a sponsor, a new sponsorship deal, but they did not add the Super Bowl halftime show. So <laughs> it might be a new halftime show, um, which it's at, well, it's the Apple Music halftime show now, right? Right. right. So I mean, I thought it would maybe like the Pepsi and Apple Music. I don't remember. I'm I'm getting way behind on this stuff. Um, and there was one other thing, but I can't remember now. Oh, I guess you were talking about you were talking about the the logos, and they did that with the World Series too. The World Series, just the the logos are so they were so cool from like the especially like the '90s. I think the '90s had some of the best World Series logos. 2007 wasn't a bad one like the globe that was kind of cool but like the 90s were the coolest world series logos and it's it, yeah yeah it's um generic now right yeah it's it's pretty much like the same font like just not very good <sighs> corporate america hmm. i know and one of actually this year it's it has capital one on it oh really the 2023 world series logo i'm pretty sure it's a cap it says capital one oh yuck if that's true although back then in the 70s and the 80s they had the same ones it wasn't until oh so it was all throughout the night the 90s had good logos but it wasn't until 2000 where they changed the logo and they kept changing it year after year And I yeah. think after, I would say not too long ago, I would say like 2013 and eh, maybe 2012, it started to get bad because 2011, you know, they had the, the, uh, fall look to it. Yeah. The leaves. 2010 was meh. 2009 was meh, but 2008 was a good one. I kind of like the diamond in the back. 2007 was kind of mad. 2006 was, I like, that one's pretty good. 
And do they, my question is, do they come up with these, they have to, I'm sure, come up with them before the World Series and you don't know who's going to be in it. But the, yeah. the advantage the NFL had or has, still has, is the, the game is at a predetermined site every year. And that can yeah. be incorporated there. And they do, I think there's a host committee that puts together a logo and there's this guy, I'll say his name's Chris Creamer, and he has a site where they make like what the logo should look like. And it's cool, but I just, I miss that so much because growing up, I remember, you know, you go get like in college, you go get a case of beer or something and it'd have like Super Bowl 39. It would have that cool, you know, the bridge or whatever in Jacksonville, for example, or the, the <laughs> or I think it was my freshman year of college. And it was everywhere you looked, it was the orbiting kind of the Houston orbit logos that ended up being New England and Carolina. And it was just, it was just really cool. It just gave a real sense of something that was specific to that year and that game and brought back all those memories. And now it's just, now they just changed the color up a little bit, but it doesn't, it, I, I don't know why the NFL, I mean, I'm sure it's money, of course, but yeah. Anything to squeeze an extra dollar out of their, uh, yeah, there's one from February 6, 21. It says Super Bowl logo has become corporate soulless, which it is. I remember, I mean, what? when did it change? All Super Well, it, like I said, 2010, Packers-Steelers was the first one with the generic silver yeah. logo because the Colts-Saints the year before was the last. I actually... I guess I didn't mind. I don't really mind those ones. I mean, they're not awesome, the generic ones. They're not bad designs, I guess. The L, the L ones, I cannot stand. Absolutely cannot stand. Yeah, anything with L. I, I always like Super Bowl Forty. you know, bigger, like XL, Super Bowl Extra Large. Oh, yeah, I like that one. And that so one's good. And I, I like having the different design because you can look at the jerseys and it's like, you know, you can tell what year, probably where they played it at. Just so sad. It is sad. Very, very disappointing. And and it was cool to see those specific logos, you know, sewn onto the their patches on the on the team's jerseys and they would wear them in media day. And now it's it's just one of those things that just makes you nostalgic. And and I think as time goes on, we continue to lose more and more of the things we kind of grew up with, right? We, yeah. Now the season, we don't have the Pro Bowl anymore. We don't have 16 games anymore. It's 17 games, really, for no good reason. It's just, you know, uh, we're, we'll see next year. I think the TV package will change. I think um, YouTube. Well, that, but uh, the AFC, NFC, it was always conferenced to determine, you know, CBS and Fox. And I think now all the games are just free agents next year. I've change. heard, yeah, I heard they're free agents. I heard, I, I saw how they did it. It was when the AFC is the away team right. in, in the, the in an NFC stadium, or it's two AFC, it's CBS, uh -huh. or the NFC is the away team against the AFC or two NFC, it's Fox. Which I, for the longest time, I couldn't really figure that out. I was always like, why? Are the Colts on Fox when they're playing the Packers? That doesn't make sense to me. But, you know, they just flipped it for some reason. And I've gotten used to that. And I like that. And because, you know, when most Patriot games over the years, you'd watch the big ones. And now the Chiefs, you're used to seeing Jim Nance. And, well, it was Phil Simms. Now it's Tony Romo. And Fox, you'd watch yeah. Joe Buck call a lot of Eagles and 49ers and Cowboys games. And now it's going to be – might just be weird. You might have, you know, the Bengals and the Chiefs in a big game – on Fox. It, it just doesn't it just doesn't work. I don't know. 
I don't like it. It doesn't. That doesn't make sense to me. No. I will if I see Dallas 49ers, like I'm gonna expect to hear the Fox theme song. And they played the wild card game in 2021 on CBS because the playoffs yeah. they had a. Uh, and it was just bizarre. It, it just the whole game. It felt weird. And can I'm you sure imagine? Think anything of it? But can you imagine like a divisional game, like you know, Raven Steelers, and it's you hear the Fox theme song. It just like doesn't... a one a one o'clock Raven Steelers game, and it's not the CBS local CBS guys. Like, ugh, I don't even want to think of a world like that. No, but I'm telling you, the more. Football goes on, you know, one day in the next decade or so, we'll probably have the season will be 18 games. And we'll oh, it's, have... it's going to be in a few years because yeah. they want I actually I don't I hate this for the player safety aspect, but I love this because if you add that extra week, that's going to put the Super Bowl Sunday, the day before President's Day, naturally. Right. And right. we're going to get that Monday off. Well, and, and, and that, that'd be great. But, and you know, when you, if you think about it. Right now, President's Weekend is usually the NBA's time, right? Yeah. The All-Star game they had last the night. N- the NBA is dying out, I feel like. Sure. Well, and the NFL at some point just wants to take over everything. They act like they're respectful of things. Oh, I won't play football during college. They usually don't. Um, that's probably the one. But for a while, it was we won't play on Fridays. And then they, you know, occasionally will throw Friday night. Usually it's a, it's a yeah. holiday thing. But um, – they used to not play a Sunday night game during the World Series. They always said, well, when the World Series would start on a Saturday, the first Sunday, so game two, the NFL never scheduled a Sunday night game. They didn't want to take viewership away. Now, they, they didn't take two Sunday night games away, so you actually had a couple times where game seven overlapped, but the NFL is not going to, you know, they're not going to be that nice. But they were respectful yeah. enough to do that. And I believe it was – oh, my God. I think it was when the Colts lost 62-7 to to the Saints. I'm sure you remember that game. Uh, that was Drew Brees. He threw for uh, – what, he got a record, right? He got the touchdown record? Uh, I think you're right. And it was, was 2011, the- and it was during the um, – Oh, no, the- that was – they. the Saints did that to us again. One That was later. That was like 20 20- – 2019 2019 years but in 2011 that game they nfl just said to hell with it and they scheduled it and it was i don't remember i guess it was i think it was game five of the 2011 world series which by the way was one of the better world series anybody that remembers it the rangers i even remember that that was a great that was a great series the david freeze game and all that but uh proof that the nfl will stop at nothing doesn't matter who's in its way uh, Mark Cuban's quote was, you know, what, what is it? P- uh, pigs get fat, hogs get slaughtered. You know, the NFL is headed towards <laughs> being a, being very hoggy. And uh, so all the stuff that we've gotten accustomed to is slowly going to die out. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I feel bad for the kids that aren't going to grow up. Right. Knowing well, like knowing, hey, CBS, that's the that's your divisional game. That's your one o'clock. Just the CBS blue, I can see it in my head now, mm-hmm. and I can hear the theme song. I mean, that's maybe that's corporate America. We're corporate America, you know, where yeah. we're wrapped around their finger. You right never have to <laughs> grow up in a world where the the last game of the season was just a normal week. It wasn't all division games, which I don't like. I dislike that. I like when it's just a regular week because you always had these unpredictable matchups, mm-hmm. and you just never knew what you were going to get. And some of the best 
end of season playoff scenarios where they would involve interconference or just, you know, intra conference games and the NFL, the, the, the story is the NFL did away with that because of the Colts resting their players in week 17, not going for the perfect season in 2009. And then the next year and ever since the same year, we started getting the solo, you know, Super Bowl logos, we started getting basically the same week 17, now week 18 matchups every single year. And so, you know, you, you, you might have a fun uh, Colts-Ravens matchup in week 17 in the past or, yeah. or 18 or, you know, the Colts 49ers that means something. But now, you know, we'll never see that again. Yeah. Well, it's fun to reminisce, but yeah. let, let's get on to some. We're here now, yes. Yeah. Let's get on to uh, the offseason. So, um, I guess we'll talk. I, the most recent coaching hire was uh, the hell's his name? Oh my Gannon. god, we were just talking Jonathan about him, Gannon. Jonathan Gannon to the Cardinals. I don't really like it. I mean, he got exposed completely in the Super Bowl. Um, again, that was against the Chiefs, and you know, you can say what you want about the Chiefs. I mean, they're you know good offense, but. You can't get exposed in the Super Bowl like that. You you just can't. I don't it's shocking that they I I was pretty shocked. It feels like even though it's been a long time, it feels like a rushed hire. It doesn't feel very well researched. So we were talking before the show when we I mentioned Jim Mora, and the reason I bring him up again is there are certain coaches that have proven track records when it comes to taking a team that is basically in a full-blown rebuild, which is what the Colts were at the time that Moore was hired and what the Cardinals basically are now. They don't even know the health of Kyler Murray and how how much he'll be available this season. They talk about trading DeAndre Hopkins maybe, you know, J.J. Watt retired. Um, and now you bring in, on top of that, a coach, it, it, not even to mention about his Super Bowl performance, but a coach that has no head coaching experience in Jonathan Gannon. And I, I would have thought it would have made more sense to bring in somebody who has a history, you know, who, who has a proven track record. But I was having this discussion with my dad and we were trying to talk about most uh, irrelevant or worst NFL or just in general sports franchises. And the Cardinals to me always come to mind. I think they're an underappreciated, terrible organization that it just doesn't seem to get these things right. So if Jonathan Gannon ends up having a great career, more power to him, proves us all wrong. But I don't know if the timing is going to be right, considering the, the mess that the Cardinals have uh, to clean up. Yeah, I think a, t I think a guy like Rich Pisaccia – would have yes. been a lot better option. I Jim mean, he's defensive Caldwell. coordinator. Lots Jim Caldwell, great option. Yeah. Um, just guys, older veteran coaches, like throwing young guys to the fire like that. Like this is the Cardinals, you know, two years ago they made the playoffs, right? And they got mm -hmm. their asses kicked by the eventual Super Bowl champions. But it was like, okay, they're, they're making strides. You know, they were going up and up and up. And suddenly they just have this, terrible year awful and you know they started the year kind of slow but we all almost thought oh this Cardinals team was going to be okay like they you know they had that big win against the Raiders where they came back in week two, two. Mm -hmm. and you know they got their asses kicked by the Chiefs but we were all like well the Chiefs are going to go on a warpath 
you know, I mean, people doubted them before, but then they saw that and they're like, oh, they're the Chiefs. And then it just fell apart. I mean, this was they were the Colts of the A of, of the NFC this year. Good comparison. Yep. The wheels just fell off so quickly. And it was like, what the hell happened to this team? How did they go from climbing the mountain like that to just all the way down and throwing a young guy to the fire? I mean, again, you could say that about the Colts hiring. We'll talk about Stike and Stike and Stike in, in a little while. Um, but I, I don't understand the not hiring of a veteran head coach, some guy who's been there, who's been in situations like that, because young guys will lose the locker room immediately. You can't lose the locker room because then you're going to get fired. You're going to lose players. You're going to get fired. So I, you know, again, hope he, I hope he wins the fucking Super Bowl after the Colts win it next year. Mm-hmm. But I just I don't see it. I don't understand why. Makes no sense. And in the biggest moment, the defense collapsed. The off the defensive line. Who cares what you want to say about the stupid turf? The defensive line was non-existent. Yeah, yeah. And and don't forget the Eagles. I mean, they gave up forty points to the Cowboys late in the year too. And I remember raising my eyebrows at that too because I know Gardner Minshew was playing for the Eagles. And so people said, well, it wasn't as big a deal. It was like 40 to 34. But I remember thinking, I was like, yeah, Super Bowl winning teams generally don't give up 40 burgers late in the year. I mean, unless they're resting all their players. It was, you know, maybe it was just a one-off. But it it wasn't just the points. It was also just, again, the lack of sacks, the fact that they didn't make a single stop in the second half, the fact that the Chiefs were running these plays that the Eagles – just weren't prepared for. And I, you know, again, how much of that is Gannon? How much is Sirianni? How much is it are the, the defensive assistance? But I don't know. It's just, it's a head scratching hire at a, and at a, you know, at an odd time. Uh, so, but, the, but these are the Cardinals, this, you know, if, if there's a franchise that's going to make you scratch your head, it's them. I'm, I'm actually looking at their sacks kind of per game. And, I mean, there are games where they just played. I mean, they, obviously, good teams should beat up on the shitty teams, but I mean, they had nine sacks against Washington early in the year. That was with Carson Wentz. Mm-hmm. Went four, one, zero. Then they got six against Pittsburgh, which that was when Pittsburgh was in their slump. They were just terrible at that time. Then they went three, three, four against the Colts. Um, they had three in that game against Washington. Um, six against Tennessee, which if I remember correctly, that wasn't with Ryan Tannehill. That was with maybe. No, I think, yeah, I can't recall. I'm looking at it. I think, oh, it was with Ryan Tannehill. Tannehill. Yeah, it was. Um, I'm looking at the, you know, again, zero against Dallas the first time. But then they get, it's funny, but then they got six and they gave, when up they gave up 40. I know. So I don't know. I mean, I've always thought sacks were important, um, but you know, the nature of a sack is it, it you could have a, a, a 10 yard sack on first down. It could be second and 20 and then you give up a 35 yard play. And then yeah. that's got to just make the defense want to, you know, put its fist through the wall. It's like, well, we just, what did we just get that sack for? And yeah. So it's not always the numbers. It's also the timing of them. 
you know, it's, and it's not always the sack. Sometimes it's if you, you can get pressure and you can make an effective play. So I don't know that the numbers were deceiving. I don't know that it was like, oh, Gannon's defense was fraudulent. I, w- I wouldn't go that far. But um, like I said, just a, an interesting time. I don't know that his stock was as high as it, it might have been after the regular season, let's say. And it was shocking they waited the longest. They mm-hmm. were the last team to hire a head coach, yeah. which is just bizarre. Then they um, waited, watched his defense fail on their home turf, and said, let's hire this guy. Yeah. Another bizarre hiring from the guy that went there was Biennemi going to the commanders. Yeah. I, can that guy – I mean, clearly he left. So all the thought, my thought of, oh, he doesn't want a head coaching job because he wants to stay with the Chiefs. Is he just the worst interviewer of all time? I mean, can he just not land an interview? Because the guy's resume speaks for itself. Two Super Bowls. I mean, and, you know, he has Patrick Mahomes. Their offense has never been a question. It's always been the defense or, like, maybe the offensive line at one point. But And then he goes to the commanders. I mean, he's they're going to cut Wentz. I mean, they're most likely going to cut him. So. Makes no sense to keep him on. You have Heineke, who's going to be a free agent this year. And then Sam Howell played well against Dallas, but he's very raw. I, think. Game, I mean, yeah. he was, what, a second-round, third-round quarterback? Mm-hmm. At least. I mean, I can't remember the exact round, but raw quarterback. It, it's it's shocking. I don't understand it. Congrats to the commanders on getting the enemy. I mean, that's a huge hire for them. It is. Let's see if if he can, you know, are they going to put up the kind of points they are with Sam Howell that they did, the Chiefs did with Patrick Mahomes? I don't know. But yeah, I don't understand why Biennemi doesn't have a head coaching job yet. I don't know if, I'm not sure if there's more to that story um, or he was just waiting to maybe get the Chiefs job. Um, I really think he's just a bad interviewer. Maybe, but if he, if he does, if he can do well with the commanders, I think that will maybe, maybe it's just, Hey, like, Oh, anybody could call a great offense if they had Patrick Mahomes. I don't know. Yeah. I think, I mean, a part of, I think a part of the success is the scheming. You see a lot of really well-run plays, you know, there, there was, um, you know, they do those little pitch underneath that I absolutely despise, but when you have Travis Kelsey, you know, you're able to do that. I mean, I absolutely I hate it when they do that little pitch thing mm-hmm. underneath. Um, on, you know, when it's like oh, yeah. first and goal from hell, the you know, like the two or three yard line. They just try to push through, but it's like, why are you doing that? It makes no sense. But um, yeah, just a weird hire, just a bizarre hire, in my opinion. Um, and uh, Shane Steichen to the Colts. Again, I'm, I don't really know what to say about it. Um, you know, I, I heard the same thing from Frank Reich, where it was like, you got to keep climbing that mountain. You got to keep banging that drum, you know? And it's like, cool. That's awesome. I've been hearing that for so long now. I'm getting tired of hearing that. I would like to see some, some wins. I want to see victory coming from this. And Steichen's offense, I mean, it's performed all year. It really hasn't been the question. Their offensive line has been fantastic. And he's been the play caller. I think since like week five, he he's 
became the play caller. So he's been calling the plays all throughout basically their biggest runs. Um, so that's a positive, uh, negative, super young. I mean, he's, you know, he's what, 30s, 40s maybe? That, that's uh, the way the league has trended, you know, he's 37. He's 37. Jeez, he does not look good. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> sorry, Shane. I mean, look, McVeigh. He looks like he's like 45. Yeah, he does. He does. But um, I think he's got like three kids, so it makes sense. But (laughs) yeah, you know, and and the thing is, I I mean, I get it. You know, like the progression of coaches is you you work your way up, right? You you go from a you know assistant to a, a coordinator, eventually to a head coach. I'm sure before that, quality control, blah blah blah, whatever. Um, but when we were talking about this before, again, I bring up Jim Moore. Any chance I get to bring up Jim Moore, and you know. And you're talking about the enemy as a bad interviewer, for example. Perhaps a lot of these the, these teams they get really infatuated with. Oh my God, this guy is so innovative. His mind he calls you know backwards triple passes and and it works. Yeah. And it's like well, he must be a great head coach. But there's a lot more that goes into coaching. It's you know it, it's the ability to connect with players. It's the ability to really uh, get players to to understand what you're trying to do. It's the ability to whip players into shape. I mean, you know, we, we said in the old days, coaches probably worked their players too hard and there were a lot l- more lax rules around, you know, um, you know, like, like letting what the coaches could get away with basically. And two a day, the shit out of their players, the crap out of their players and not really letting them get water breaks. And obviously there are a lot of things that needed to improve with that. But, you know, you think about a guy like a Tom Coughlin, right. And that Tom Coughlin, this last year coaching thing was like 2015. So it's not like it's, you know, 50 years ago, but I feel like, I don't know if a Tom Coughlin we get hired these days, you know, I mean, he's older, he's very old school. I don't know that, that, you know, he, he'd be like a sexy coaching candidate, right? I don't know if it's just his age or his style, you know, and of course Coughlin, I'm sure same thing worked his way up, but you see these young head coaches and sometimes it works. Sometimes you catch lightning in a bottle and sometimes it's like, whoa, this guy has no idea what he's doing. He's never coached at this level. You know, sure, he can call plays when he's got Patrick Mahomes or Peyton Manning, like Adam Gase, right? He was a genius, right? He had Peyton Manning, and they put up 600 points. Then he goes to Miami, and they they had nothing. He failed, and he was with the Jets, and they failed. And it's, it's just, I don't know if the process that these teams go through and and do they do their due diligence or do they just, are they just in love with, you know, like the idea of what this guy can do calling plays and he's an innovative mind. So I don't know, just something I've been thinking about. Yeah. Um, I, Oh brother. I mean, it's just the, the Colts just give me heart palpitations to be honest. I mean, I just, I, I, after what happened with the Frank Reich thing and Andrew Luck, it's, I think they've lost a fan base. I'm going to be honest. I really think they've lost a fan base. I think there's no trust from Jim Irsay. I mean, everybody was convinced that they were going to be hiring um, Jeff Saturday. That's why they were waiting so long. They were trying to put up a smoke screen that they were going to hire Steichen and they were going to hire Jeff Saturday. And 
Jeff Saturday, I would love if they bring him on as an offensive lineman coach. Like he would be a fantastic option to teach the offensive line because good Lord, this was one of the worst offensive lines I've ever seen. And I think the state of the franchise is probably the worst I've, I've seen in my lifetime, which I've been lucky. I've been very lucky, but even when the Colts were bad, like in the eighties and the nineties, I feel like they weren't like this, like, I feel like it was just, oh, the Colts are bad. You know, it's kind of like adorable, you know, she's like, oh, they're just kind of bad, you know, whatever. But this is like the fans are angry, like they're they care. You know, the Colts fans care and they're bad. Back then, nobody would show up to the games. Like right. I think I watched that uh, the documentary on the, the Colts marching band and they said, like, people would go to the games and knit. Or no, I'm sorry. I was listening to the Zach Kiefer podcast. He did an Andrew Luck. Um, there was like eight parts on Andrew Luck in his career. And they actually talked about Peyton Manning and, and Jim Irsay and when Manning got there and how Manning built the city. They said before Manning was there, people would go there and knit. You would see people doing just random stuff in the, in the crowd because nobody cared. But – Peyton and Andrew made them care, and then now we're back where we were at. So this is almost worse. Jim Irsay is also 64, but he looks decrepit. Might die soon. Like, he can't let this – he can't go out with the franchise in this much of disarray. They – yeah, I mean, like you said, the the wheels – came off this year and I wonder I mean I'm guessing Matt Ryan's career is pretty much over at this point I I don't know it would have been nice to see what he could do with some weapons and some protection I mean you saw early in the year he beat the Chiefs saving grace was that game and they were two two and one I think after five games yeah uh, but yeah I guess the million dollar question is what are they going to do at quarterback I mean do, do they go draft or do they, you know, try to go with a Matt Ryan again and hope they can build around him? I'm not sure, uh, but it is uh, it is feeling like the Colts are becoming very irrelevant very quickly. Again. Again. Um, the I mean, the Colts were the shocking. It's it's extremely shocking that the Colts were actually 3-2-1. and one. Oh. So they were – like possibly, you know, they were, they were like outside chance at the playoffs. Basically it was like, okay, maybe this team will like do a little something. And I mean, like you said, the wheels came off. I said, I think people are tired of hearing that I've said the wheels came off, but there's a reason that I was so invested in the Bengals in the playoffs that, you know, besides Akeem Davis Gaither in the podcast, but I was, the most invested non-Bengals fan, I feel like. I was all over them because the Colts just didn't bring me joy as a fan. The amount, you know, I'm sure with the Ravens, you've put in more than enough emotion into watching these games. And when they're just so dysfunctional, which I don't think they've ever really been super dysfunctional. I can't think of a time when they were. As a a Ravens fan, really just, the first couple years, really the first three years in Baltimore, 
and then 99 they started to turn the corner they were eight and eight and then 2000 of course they just ascended to another planet but um yeah. no they've been and they've they've been run pretty well and you know up until lamar jackson i, I wouldn't say the ravens have ever had like a a must-see quarterback i mean obviously flacco was very good and had some good years but i mean think about the first let's see 22 seasons of ravens football i mean it was the likes of testaverde and trent dilfer and yeah, (laughs) Jeff Blake and Anthony Wright and Kyle Bowler. And they had McNair at the end of his career. He wasn't, you know, must see TV. He was, you know, still pretty good, but he wasn't quite the Steve McNair that, you know, in his heyday with Tennessee. And so, you know, they bring Flacco on. It's like, okay, as a Ravens fan, you're happy. They just have stability at the quarterback position. Not, okay, we have a superstar. And now, you know, I think now the frustration for the Ravens is like, and how he actually the city of Baltimore has a potentially dynamic, great quarterback, and you're just not seeing the level of postseason success that they had with Flacco. Flacco won nine postseason games in his first five seasons, if I'm not mistaken. I think he did. And he won at least one playoff game each of his first five years. He ended up with 10 postseason wins, and he played wow. 10 years – I think 10 years in a Ravens uniform or 11 years, but he was, you know, the 11th year he was, they, they swapped him out for Jackson. And now in four and a half years, Lamar Jackson has one playoff win. And maybe it's not fair because it was kind of a different era and they had, you know, more of a, I don't know if they had a, I guess they had a better team then they have good players now. But I feel like they had better offensive weapons. They did. At, and right now they have, zero at the wide receiver position, which is crazy. If you think about it, the Ravens, for the most part, that's another position they've never had, like, a true, like, game-breaking wide receiver, you know? Uh, and and it, so it's, like, it's funny because some, like, as a Colts fan, you know, you think you've had a ton of great receivers. You had the era of Marvin Harrison and Reggie Wayne and, um, you know, even Bill guys- Brooks, even. Yeah, and even guys like T.Y. Hilton were good for a while. But the Ravens, you know, if you look at it, like the, the some of their best receivers were guys they, they picked up elsewhere or later in their career. Steve Smith, Anquan Bolden was obviously good. Torrey uh, Smith. Torrey Smith. It, or was he, no, was he there late? One of the better ones. Uh, and he, they did oh, draft. no, he was drafted. He was drafted. But De- uh, Derek Mason, you know, was like – a great reliable receiver, but again, didn't start. I mean, he was a Titan as well, or Oiler, Titan, whatever. Um, Brandon Stokely's on this list. Stokely, yeah. I mean, Stokely caught the f- opening, the first touchdown in the Super Bowl. Uh, beats Jason Seahorn <laughs> for the score. But again, like never, it's never been a wide. I mean, again, like Steve, they had Steve Smith, but not, you know, in his. Not Steve days. Smith. Not, Steve not Smith. that Steve Smith. You know what I mean? Like they had a good Steve Smith, but at the very end of his career so um it's just weird how some friends like the bears you know the bears have never had a great quarterback i mean maybe fields yeah. will turn into one who knows but they've never they just don't i don't know what it is the bears when you think of the bears being good you always think of defense and you think of the fact that rex grossman for crying out loud got to a super bowl so and jim mcmahon and jim mcmahon and you know and yeah they had cutler and he got got him to the championship game but it's it's just I don't know. It's strange how some franchises are like synonymous with you know a position, and some are just synonymous with 
never having yeah. stars at a certain position. So I hope for the, the Colts. Col- the Colts are all they're always going to be synonymous with drafting a quarterback at one. Yeah. They drafted That's Jeff it. George at one from Illinois. Uh-huh. <laughs> The worst – some people say that's, like, one of the worst number one picks of all time. Um. Well, you know – Even at the time. Decent career, and he had an amazing – I'm telling you, one of the best arms you'll ever see on a quarterback. No really? no joke in terms of throwing the deep ball. Guy could stationary throw, like, 70 or 80 yards. It was incredible. But he just – upstairs in his head he just didn't have it and he would always clash with the coaches and that was i think more the issue with george it wasn't you know again and that's why number one picks a lot of times don't pan out it's not physical talent right it's usually either in their head or you know legal trouble or they just or injuries and um but then the colts you know obviously they got manning they made the right choice there not going with ryan leaf the, yeah. the potentially sexy pick there, and um, of course Andrew Luck, a shorter career than they would have liked, but a, but a really good one. I remember the the debate between RG three and him. That yeah. was that took over for a while, and I I was afraid even as a young kid. I was in fifth grade. I was like, I don't want RG three. I was like, I want this kid from Stanford. Like I knew Stanford was a good college. I was like. He's got to be pretty smart to go to Stanford, and I feel like a smart quarterback would be good. And especially at the time, I mean, the running quarterback was unheard of. It was, you know, nobody – you were like, you run out of the pocket as a quarterback? Like, the best quarterbacks in the league, they all stay in the pocket. You know, at the time, it was Brady, Manning, and Roethlisberger. And Aaron Rodgers was obviously there too, but the big three were in the AFC. And – I just after I listened to the that podcast, it was like Andrew Lucker bust basically. Like they were never going with RG three, which makes me feel good to hear. <laughs> the the suck for luck twenty eleven season, and that was the they that, almost they almost screwed that up. They yeah. won two games late. I know. Then they lost to Jacksonville in the last game and saved yeah. saved the franchise temporarily. I'm just looking at who the Colts took who the Colts missed out on in that, that draft where they took uh, Jeff George missed out on Cortez Kennedy, junior mm. Seau and Emmett Smith all in the first round. Wow. Yeah. Would have liked to have that one back. I, I would assume. Um, but what, so what, what's the ideal off season for the Ravens right now? Well, I guess, your depends, eyes. I guess it just depends on who you ask, right? Because there's uh, there's people on both sides of the Lamar Jackson argument, right? Do you do you pony up and you spend all this money for a quarterback that just got hurt, hasn't delivered you the success in the playoffs that you were accustomed to in the Flacco days? It's funny to to say that, you know, because it's like, well, nobody's going to confuse the two of them in terms of physical ability, but you know, if your priority, which I would think it would be, is winning. Um, you have to take that into consideration. Do but a I, blind resume. Easy. Do a blind resume. Right. Yeah. And I, like we said, Flacco, 10 postseason wins over his first what, seven years as a Ravens starter. And Lamar is at four and a half, five years, whatever you want to call it. It's one postseason win. And it just, it just, I don't know if it's the style. I don't know if it's the, Coaching, I don't, I don't know what it is. It's bad luck why they haven't done that. I think the ideal offseason, no matter what, involves 
getting getting a big playmaker. They have to get a big time playmaker, and I'm and I really mean at receiver. I mean, short of like uh, you know, who who are they going to get at running? But they, I think they're set with their running game for the most part. Could always use offensive line help, but they have to get a a true number one weapon. You saw what it did for Philadelphia. They didn't have that number one guy, and then they used the, the draft, right? Was They drafted Smith this year, right? I'm not crazy. Devontae um, Smith. They, Philly, Philly, they drafted Smith last year. Okay, so um, you had your young guy there. They, this was his second season. They drafted – what the hell is his name? The kid from Georgia. Um, the, de- the defensive lineman. Right. Well, my point was, you know, you have your kind of one star oh, yeah, young yeah. wide receiver there. I forget, I couldn't remember if it was first or second year. And obviously then you bring in AJ Brown and then it's like, wow, now you have yourself uh, a real, like a tandem, like a big playmaking tandem. And, you know, don't tell me that that didn't have a big impact on Jalen Hurts development this year. And his third year was having, you know, a true vertical threat in AJ Brown and having a Devonte Smith in his second year, you know? And so I think the Ravens, there's been rumors about maybe do they go after Deandre Hopkins? We're talking about the Cardinals and, in, in their the full rebuild mode that they're in, um, maybe the Ravens go and get their you know truly great wide receiver for a change if they can. I don't know if they're going to be able to get that big time playmaker in the draft. I think they have to either make a trade or go after someone big in free agency because you could talk all you want about Lamar Jackson, but how how successful are you going to be as a team when your top wide receiver in terms of catches is at forty eight? And that's Demarcus Robinson. And then you had Devin Duvernay with 37 catches and Isaiah Likely, who uh, was tight end at 36 receptions. I mean, they just, they just, nobody they could count on. And they went for like a good chunk of the season without a wide receiver catching a touchdown. It takes Mark Andrews away, you know? I mean, it, it, you can, you can double Mark Andrews. And that's why his numbers were down this year. I mean, he led the team by a lot with 73 catches for 847, but when you just don't have any help on the outside. I mean, so that's, they have to go, that has to be uh, a top priority. But another area that I think they've got to be a little worried about right now is uh, the pass rush. And Justin Houston, who led the team in sacks uh, this past year with nine and a half, he's a free agent. Got Calais Campbell, who was tied for second with five and a half. He's nearing the end. He's 36 right now. Um, obviously getting Roquan Smith was a big boon, you know, it really helped and it, and it's going to help them going forward. But I think they need another pass rusher. They, they, you can never have enough as the Eagles probably found out in the Super Bowl. You can never have enough in terms of pass rush. So I think if you had two areas where you really had a chance to get a big time impact player for the Ravens, this is, you know, not to even speak of the Lamar negotiations, but I will say this, if, you get into a situation as the Ravens where it's like, boy, you've got to spend, I think the Ravens have like the seventh or eighth, somewhere around there, most flexibility in terms of the cap, which is good. But if you're talking about, well, does does signing Lamar Jackson potentially hinder you from getting that wide, big wide receiver or big pass rusher, then you start to, then you have to wonder. It's easy to say like, oh, we we should just do this, you know, Uh, but then who's the quarterback going to be? Do you trust that it, that Tyler Huntley can lead the team? Do you feel like you can still take a step forward if you have to go out and sign a guy like a Derek Carr or Jimmy Garoppolo or whatever? I don't know. I don't know. I, ju- I just know that 
if you bring Lamar Jackson back and he doesn't have any big play wide receivers, I think you're just sort of spinning your wheels, honestly. Mm-hmm. And you can't just win with defense. I mean, it just doesn't work that way anymore. I mean, unless the, there's a reincarnation of the 2000 Ravens, it's not going to be enough. You have to have in this day and age, a, a dynamic quarterback, I think, you know, or, yeah. or you have to have a team that's just so ridiculously good around him that you can, you can still win. I don't know pretty much long gone are the days of Trent Dilfer winning the Super Bowl. We we've seen, and, and like I pointed out in the NFC, you see a lot of these quarterbacks can get there, but you need, you still need to have that quarterback. So it's a tricky balance, but I, I just know that if the Ravens bring back the same group of wide receivers, there's no way they're going to take over the chiefs or the Bengals or the bills. I mean, they just, it's just not enough firepower there. Yeah. Um, the, yeah, I mean, the, the, the North right now is, it's not the strong, I guess it's not the strongest division, but it's, you have, I mean, it's the division of quarterbacks right now. I mean, with Deshaun Watson coming back, this is going to be his first full season. And obviously we saw a lot of rust. Um, I'm, I think he's going to bring it back. I think Cleveland's going to start out at least my feeling. Now they're going to play really well, at least to start the year. Deshaun Watson going to find his form. Obviously you're going to have to deal with Joe Burrow and Kenny Pickett. He really bounced back this year. He, he had a lot better of a year down the stretch. That whole Steelers team rallied around him, and they really played a lot better ball. And if that, you know, if that's going to happen in the coming years, if, if Kenny Pickett is, the problem or he's going to be a problem for everybody then i mean you you can't survive in that division hell i mean the entire afc is much better than the nfc i think this year especially proved it i think there were a lot more competent teams in the afc than in the nfc the nfc was meh i mean you could point to a few teams but philly just steamrolled i mean they really did there was and again, you know, the 49ers, what can you say about them? But uh, availability is the best ability, and clearly there wasn't a lot of availability from any of the 49ers quarterbacks this year. So the NFC was soft, and the AFC is so stacked. Nobody's escaping the AFC. Like, there's no realignment for uh, coming for anybody right now. I can't see it unless the NFL decides to add teams. So – I can't understand a team not wanting to pay for a quarterback. That's that. I mean, that's what you have to do in this, in this league. It has to happen now. Yeah. I mean, unless you have like, unless you have a plan or an ace in the hole or you had the top, you know, a, a plan to trade for the number one pick in the draft and get your guy, you did the right, you know, they're, they're going to have the Ravens are going to have to have some answer quarterback. And if it's not Lamar Jackson, they're going to have to get somebody that is at least going to give them a chance to function. But if they do, if they go that route, if they say, we're not going to sign Lamar, then they better get commit to getting a lot better and getting a lot of weapons around whoever comes in. Because, you know, I I do believe if if you have a lot of big play guys around a quarterback, he he can still succeed at least to a certain extent. Um, And, you know, Brock Purdy, I was just going to say Brock Purdy. I mean, right. The Mr. Irrelevant comes in and, I mean, look at the look. Look at the offense he had. Look at the playmakers. Look at the coaching. Yeah, unfortunate how his season ended. But I think even if you had said to him, "Hey, you're gonna come in, win seven straight games, and yeah, you'll lose in the NFC Championship game," 
not to speak of the injury, I think, you know, you would have taken that. It just, you know, and so I don't know the, the, the way the Ravens run their offense. It's very run heavy. It's not there. They, there's just no vertical game right now. Mm-hmm. And so if they keep Lamar Jackson. Maybe they're just content to continue to play that style and say, we're going to just, you know, we'll be a, you know, a kind of, he'll be a hybrid quarterback and, you know, we'll, we'll just commit to trying to, prevent teams from scoring enough points or you go the route, you get a sort of a traditional quarterback, if it, as it were pocket passer and say, okay, we'll, we'll let him throw the ball deep, but we need to give him guys that can, that can do that. And um, right. The AFC North, it's not, but I think it's still a sneaky good division because I think, you know, the Steelers, like if they, this is their rebuild year with a rookie quarterback pairing with Mitch Trubisky and they still find a way to go nine and eight and be in it to the last week, you know, at Pittsburgh, it's in it's in the Steelers' DNA to just to at least go eight and eight or eight nine and eight go nine and eight or eight eight and well I guess nine and eight yeah so they were nine seven and one the year before Roethlisberger's last year but they're oh and the, but those are bad years for the Steelers and obviously the Bengals have established themselves as not just fake good like they were in the Andy Dalton years where they would yeah put up good regular seasons <laughs> you knew they weren't really good they're they're good good now they're actually really good and the Browns. Yeah. They're a terrible franchise, but they are still. If if Deshaun Watson is you know healthy and stays out of trouble and picks up the offense in year two, there's no reason to think the Browns couldn't at least give the rest of the division a hard time. And so the Ravens' margin for error is not very large. And look, John Harbaugh is going to be going into his 16th year. Wow. You know, yes, he's had a lot of success. He has won a Super Bowl, which is more than a lot of coaches can say. But at what point does it become stale and repetitive? At what point does Steve Bishotti say, like, hey, you better you better win or get us really close or we're going to have to make a change? Because, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I see Harbaugh continue to coach if they're not going to go deep into the playoffs. And they have just one single postseason win since – 2014 mm-hmm. and that was the 2020 wildcard game so patience is starting to wear thin because as you, you said the ravens right they've we've been lucky as ravens fans they've always been pretty good but to go now eight years with just one single postseason win uh i think the colts have that many in that time right they've at least they won one in 28 i know they beat deshaun watson so they at least have as many as the ravens do in that span we uh, have two 2018, yeah. we beat Houston. Texans, yeah. Which 2020, no, we lost that game. No, we lost to the Bills. That's what I was thinking. Um, our last yeah. win was Same 2014. So yeah, so it was yeah. against the Broncos, and it was – so it was the Eight same postseason yeah. that the Ravens last had won a playoff game outside of that 2020 game against Tennessee. So yeah. for a franchise that has kind of established itself as one of the you know better team, you know, franchises and – I think I think this is a year for Harbaugh where if they and again the last what's been frustrating especially the last two years for the Ravens is late in the season in 2021 they were eight and three lost six in a row to end the season yeah Went from eight and three to eight and nine this past year lost four out of five including the playoff game at the end of the year again obviously Jackson being out you know you get a little bit of a pass but it just leaves a bad taste in the mouths of the fans. And if, and if the same thing happens again this year, 
then I think you got to start thinking about possibly making a change at the helm. Yeah. Um, let's uh, talk a little. I guess I'll talk the Colts, my personal roadmap. I want to actually – a lot of people expect me to start at the quarterback, but I actually want to start on the offensive line. I really – I mean, Bobby Okereke is – well, I, I'll go to the defense. But the offensive line was clearly the biggest issue. I think it was a bigger issue than the quarterback. I feel like the quarterback kind of got a bad rap. Um, I think if you look at this offensive line, three players are getting over – I mean, they're getting over $10 million per year and their AAV. Quentin Nelson's getting twenty. Braden Smith's getting 17.5. Ryan Kelly is getting uh, 12.5. Um, I think Ryan Kelly had a tough year. He had a tough year last year. His, um, his wife went through a miscarriage uh, in the middle of the season, which I'm sure was very tough for them. And then this year he clearly struggled. I think it was an emotion. I think, you know, the human emotion takes over. I think he really struggled this year. I feel like it's time for the Colts to move on from him. I think trade him. Ballard loves his picks. He loves his late round picks. He's like the Patriots. I think a change of scenery for him would be awesome. A lot of players thrive after a change of scenery, especially after what has transpired in the last year for them. Um, I think it would be just really important to go and just say, Hey man, we'll see you later. Thanks for thanks for your work. There are a lot of free agent centers out there right now. Rodney Hudson from Arizona. Jason Kelsey, who is a veteran. Connor McGovern from uh, the New York Jets. Um, and then even Austin Blythe from Seattle. So a lot of people would want a younger guy. I feel like because you have Wesley French right behind Ryan Kelly. Wesley French is, I think he, I think there were a little bit of expectations for him. Um, I think if you bring in Jason Kelsey as like the true veteran to bring these guys together more than anything, I think that's what an offensive line needs is a true veteran. Jason Kelsey's 35 years old right now. There's a lot of questions on whether he's going to play. I think he's going to play until he's probably 37, maybe 38. I think he's got a few more years left in him. I mean, that offensive line was fantastic. That was one of the best offensive lines I've ever seen just with that push that they did. Unstoppable. I feel like the Colts need to go out and sign um, Jason Kelsey. And then, uh, sorry, I'm looking at the, trying to find my depth chart here. Um, Will Fries right now. Will, Will Fries is our right guard. That's one of our biggest issues. Obviously, left tackle right now. You have Bernard Raymond, who's a rookie, and he struggled last year with penalties, but he was actually very good. So I would be comfortable with him and Nelson on the left side. Obviously, like I said, bring in Jason Kelsey in center and then right guard Will Fries. Will Fries is a young. He's a great talent. I actually really like Will Fries. Danny Pinter struggled this year. Matt Pryor, get get rid of him. He's he's gone in free agency. Danny Pinter was I think he was expected to do a lot more than uh, what he really did. Will Fries needs another veteran to come in. Um, I think there are a few options here. I mean, uh, Justin Pugh from Arizona, Roger Saffold from Buffalo. I think those are two guys that you can go out and sign for relatively cheap um, as veterans to help the young and teach the young guy and give him competition. 
because Danny Pinter struggled last year. And I think you could honestly help teach both of those guys. Maybe you could even, I'm not really sure on the difficulty of converting guys, but maybe Danny Pinter could be converted to a center for competition for Wesley French when Jason Kelsey eventually retires. Maybe you sign Kelsey to a two-year deal. Um, the offensive line, I mean, no quarterback would survive behind that offensive line. I refuse to believe that would be possible. Um, Quarterback-wise, uh, Matt Ryan has another year on his deal. Expires in 2024. Um, I would assume this would be his last year. This, I would think so. I think this needs to be treated as a true full gap year. You need to look at your quarterback situation. Everybody wants the Colts to trade up and get Bryce Young. They want CJ Stroud. I am of the more conservative approach. I know they, I know we really want that big, sexy new quarterback. But I think if the Colts go into this year saying, we're developing a guy, we're going to start Matt Ryan or Nick Foles or who I, you could put me out there. I don't care. They should draft Hendon Hooker in the second round. He led the league's best offense with Jalen Hyatt. If Jalen Hyatt is available in the second round, they should trade that pick back, trade that first round pick back, the number four. You can get Bert, maybe you can draft Bernard Raymond late, late 10, you know, inside of 10, but you can get him late. Maybe get another second round pick. Take Jalen Hyatt and Hendon Hooker together. Jalen Hyatt is a great talent. He might not even make it to the second round, to be honest. I, I wouldn't be shocked if he goes first round. Four touchdowns in, against Alabama. But I feel. I have a strong feeling about Hendon Hooker. He led the league's best offense. He tore his ACL, yes, but he's got a rocket. And the worst thing that happens is he doesn't progress as much as you want him to, you know, whatever. You cut him. You suck next year, so you have a high pick. Then you can take the kid from Tennessee again who's coming out this year, who has one of the best arms I've ever seen, possibly better than Jeff George. I heard at the Orange Bowl, this is the dumbest thing ever, but at the Orange Bowl, they had him stand from one of the walls of the um, Miami Gardens. That's the stadium they play in. Is that right? Mm-hmm. For the Orange Bowl? Yeah. He stood from that wall in a standing position. They had him throw an orange across the field. He threw the orange all the way to the other wall on the other side of the field. So like 120 or 140 yards, and they said they could hear the orange hit the wall from the other side. Mm. This kid's got a freaking cannon, and he's he was supposed to be starting, and then he got hurt at Tennessee, and then Hendon Hooker obviously did what he did. But he led Tennessee to number one in the country, and because he tore his ACL, everyone's forgetting about him. He's going to be that hidden gem that Chris Ballard's going to find, and I think that will work out more than anything. Um, defensively, there's not really much they have to do. Like, I don't really think you have to do much on the defense. They were great this year. The defense was awesome. And especially with how bad the offense was, the defense 
played even better. Like the not not a lot of people realize that when the offense is so bad that they're giving possessions away, the defense is going to struggle. You're putting the defense on for 75% of the game because you're turning it over. Well, they're going to suck. Like that's just expected. Um, what the hell, where is he at here? Um, I think Zaire Franklin. Oh, he just signed. Uh, we had a free agent that was coming up on defense. Maybe I can't find him. Um, yeah, I'm not even going to talk about the defense. I mean, there's no reason for me to talk about the defense. Defense was fantastic this year. I think if they played like that in a few years with a good offense, that's a Super Bowl team right there. That's a Super Bowl defense, just not even close to a Super Bowl offense. So well, the, I've thought uh, it out. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of weird scenarios looking at the CBS article that had, uh, you know, some great, like, uh, I think for the, the mock draft, um, you know, like the Ravens trade uh, Lamar to Atlanta and Aaron Rodgers gets traded to Vegas and then uh, Derek Carr goes to the Jets and then all these other dominoes fall where the Colts get Anthony Richardson and, oh, don't. and then the Ravens end up with C.J. Stroud. I mean, it just makes your head spin looking at all these scenarios. But Anthony Richardson is one of the worst first round prospects I've ever seen i don't get it i have no i just can't understand why they think he's gonna be the messiah he's he was so raw at florida i mean he clear i mean he had like that one good game against utah and it was like oh man here comes florida and then he was terrible almost the entire year i don't understand it the one that i really like is chicago trading Justin Fields to the Colts and then getting the fourth pick. And then they have the one and the four and they take Skrinowski at four and they take Bryce Young at one. That's one of the ones that I kind of like, Ooh, that might not be too bad. Maybe throw in Ryan Kelly too. We'll throw in Ryan Kelly. It'll be a big cap hit, but you know, you can have, it's free. So, uh, all right. Well, um, I want to thank everybody for listening all season. Um, again, I'm, I'm moving that we're moving the show over to chaotically intolerant in the, uh, next year, just, I think cause of listenership, I think it'd be better just to use our audience base. Um, but I, I've enjoyed this. I love talking football. It's like my favorite time of year, even more than baseball. Um, and, uh, I'm already thinking about, next year i'm or i mean i'm clearly already getting ahead of myself i have my roadmap for the colts planned out in my head it's clearly why i'm not a gm (laughs) but uh yeah i want to thank everybody thank you michael um for joining us uh great addition to the team um thank all the listeners and uh make sure you listen to chaotically intolerant um and watch all of our content in the coming months yeah this was fun thanks for having me can't wait for uh I'm sure we'll we'll talk throughout the off season on chaotically intolerant, but also uh, can't wait for next season. Maybe we'll do like a few check ins every every like every couple months. Like, yeah. oh, this happened. Maybe after the draft too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Schedule release. There's always something, right? The NFL. Yeah. There's no such thing as the. Well, they, 
Yeah, they make sure. They, they find make a way to sure. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, thanks, everybody. We'll see you next season.